Saunders Country. Hello, this is P.T. Isles, the It Could Have Been Worse edition. Alongside Gotham Sports Network's James Duffy, I'm Isles Blog's Joe Bono. A reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please rate and review the show or listen on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or visit us at nyislesblog.com. A little later, we'll be joined by Carrie Haber of Lighthouse Hockey to get his thoughts on everything that transpired July 1st. But first, James, you know, a different feel than a year ago, um, July 1st, 2018. I think all the signs were there. Things were looking rather bleak, and then, you know, they finally happened. Uh, of course, with the John Tavares announcing he was going to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then the Islanders were a bit in scramble mode after that. This was different because over the last couple of days, and especially Sunday night, indications were that the Islanders were the favorite for Artemi Panarin. In the morning, it still felt that way, and the day started off with that not happening, and Panarin ultimately using the Islanders look like as leverage to try to get more out of the Rangers, and he ends up going to Broadway on a seven-year deal. Yeah, I think that feeling started to come up late last night and early this morning as almost once an hour it seemed like a different reporter would say, just to clarify, the Rangers are still in it, as it seemed like it was a very clear kind of stalemate between the Rangers front office and, and Panarin. That obviously materialized this morning, and it's tough. It, it's tough for a lot of reasons because of, A, how close we thought we were to, uh, to, to getting him, the fact that he went to the crosstown rival, uh, the fact that that effectively, you could say, completes the Rangers' rebuild and puts them in a position to at least fight yep. for a playoff spot again next year. Um, and, you know... Again, missing out on Panarin the, the year after missing out on, on re-signing your captain last offseason, you're in a position now where even re-signing Lee was you know, a questionable move because without more pieces, can you even really hope to advance further this year? You know, Their cap space is slowly dwindling after they had so much with the RFAs still left to sign. Like, they're in a spot now where they, they have very little room to keep improving, and they haven't gotten better either. And it seemed like they had all their chips on Panarin when it was always a pretty decent chance that he went to the Rangers instead. And as soon as I didn't cash out, they really had to scramble to fix it. Well, let's take a step back and kind of look at this from a strategic standpoint. If you look at the free agent market, you know, Matt Duchesne, long rumored to go to Nashville. That's where he went. You know, be, beyond him, who was the other UFA that was going to be the big target um, for anyone that needed offense, it was going to be Panarin. So Lou puts all his chips there. That's why he, you know, defers in terms of, you know, coming to an agreement with Anders Lee. You know, he gets, you know, friendly deal with Jordan Eberle, Brock Nelson, a very fair deal. Those guys took those contracts. And when it came to Lee, he needed to explore other things. Apparently Anders Lee was okay with that. Um, but then he goes after Panarin. Twelve and a half million was the rumored Islander contract, and this was the worst-case scenario that Islander fans were worried about uh, for quite some time, is that they would lose out on Panarin, and then the fallback of Anders Lee and and or Robin Leonard would not be there. And we'll get to that, but just the idea of going kind of all-in with Panarin and maybe not exploring some other options for some lesser talent in free agency, do you have any problem with that now, seeing how it turned out? Well, so what I would say is that it's not even about maybe pursuing lesser talent in free agency because there are still some guys. There's not great options as guys like Simmons and Nyquist, kind of that second tier have signed already in a lot for the most case. But, you know, there's still a Marcus Johansson available. There's still decent B-level players that could make an impact next year. What I have a big problem with is 
basically the fact that Lamarillo put all his chips into this basket because, like you said, he was the one UFA that could make a difference on offense. But he was not the one player available this offseason that could make a difference on, off, uh, a difference on, off, on offense. We saw Montreal offer sheet Sebastian Ajo. We've heard so much about Mitchell Marner being potentially offer sheeted, Braden Point, Miko Rantanen. There were a number of players that with a little creative thought and maybe a little bit of versatility on Lamarillo's part, the Islanders could have at least had a shot at to maybe limit the, the damage done when you miss out on Panarin. But I'm not sure he has that creativity in him to really think outside the box and wonder how he can improve the team outside of, I will go pay the top UFA the most I can. And the other part of this is the realization that the Islanders have not arrived yet as a franchise to where they're going to be a target of that very top tier for agents. And it's tough, and, and it's very interesting on the heels of what happened in the NBA uh, the previous day with uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant deciding to go to Brooklyn over the Knicks. Meanwhile, here in the NHL, when Jim Dolan is not really part of the equation, you know, clearly people want to play on Broadway more than they want to play it, you know, on Long Island or currently with the Islanders with their two-arena split. And that's just the way it is, and the Islanders are going to have to overpay or at least attempt to overpay for that talent. And in this situation, that wasn't even enough. You know, as we waited for uh, the numbers to come in, it looked like he got him a little bit above 11 and a half. And you just wonder for how long did Panarin know that's where he wanted to end up and was just trying to extract every last dollar out of the Rangers um, as he got the Islanders up to 12, 12 and a half million dollars on the AAV. Well, so Joe, wouldn't you agree, though, that generally speaking, this is still the Islanders? I mean, you have to expect that when there's a top flight UFA, they're not going to necessarily want to come to the Islanders. It's, it's always been the case. It clearly remained that way this year. So it's surprising that Lamarillo's not been more proactive attempting trades or offer sheets because clearly the Islanders have always had a problem luring top free agents. So they need to be able to make improvements in ways that aren't necessarily drawing free agents. And he seems mm-hmm. so far as the Islanders GM incapable of doing that. He's made one trade and it was even McAdam, even McAdam for Matt Martin. So, yeah, and I think it's just tough, you know, for Islander fans, obviously, you know, back-to-back years, um, the top free agent on the market ends up taking less money to go somewhere else. And uh, that's just a very harsh reality in both circumstances, uh, both with Tavares and Panarin. Obviously, the emotional um, connections are not there with Panarin, and uh, you'll just very quickly start to hating him because he'll be wearing a, a blue shirt sweater. Um, but, um, you know, that, you know, but then we moved on. All right. So then it became 1230, it became 130, it became 230 and it was quiet, um, for all parts of the early afternoon. And we assumed, um, correctly that the Islanders were circling back on Anders Lee. And, uh, obviously rumors had happened that, uh, he was looking for, you know, eight years from the eight years from the Islanders, eight, $9 million per year. Uh, Montreal, Chicago were the teams that were, rumored to be interested in Lee and um, luckily for the Islanders, he was still there and the suitors weren't there to the extent that maybe we had thought uh, got quiet on the Chicago front. And then after Montreal made the offer sheet to Ajo, that kind of took them out because they're going to have to be in now a, you know, waiting pattern for that. Although, <laughs> although the hurricanes pretty much making uh, no bones about it, that they're going to match that offer. But from there on out, it kind of looked pretty direct that it was going to happen between the Islanders and Lee. Ultimately, they settle on seven years and $49 million. Uh, this is about one year off as to what I expected, James. I thought the compromise was going to be six years and around you know, 40 to $42 million. Um, but ultimately, it's the type of deal they had to make, and they had very little choice after striking out on Panarin. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I wonder. It's something that we'll never know, obviously, but the Islanders were more flexible with Lee uh, before July 1st. Is it possible they got a slightly more team-friendly deal, whether that's you know half a mil off the AAB across the contract or, or six years as opposed to seven, which would have been a big win for the team. Um, but either way, you know, they, they clearly – decided to wait it out and run the clock out and see exactly how July 1 played out before fully committing to Anders Lee. Um, And he was, I guess, fine enough to play the field as well because it seemed like he had a lot of interest in coming into today. Um, You know, it is very fortunate for the Islanders that this worked out because otherwise, by missing out on Panarin, you fail to improve on offense. And if you lost Lee, you now are taking steps back from one of the league's worst, worst offenses last season. So it's very fortunate. But it's not encouraging that they ended up in this position where they were basically desperately pleading with their captain to return. And quotes from Lee after signing that contract, he called it a wonderful day for him and his wife. Um, he said he never felt like he was going to leave the team. He said Lou and Neil, his agent, had agreed to some things, quote, in principle that allowed Lou to pursue some, quote, other things. I mean, that makes it sound as if that Panarin or no Panarin, they were going to come back and circled back with Lee, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe that's putting the rosy orange and blue glasses on this. If you're Anders Lee, that, hey, your team wanted you all along. But those other things clearly were Artemi Panera, and that was going to be $12.5 We saw, and we'll get into the goaltending situation in a second, what Verlamov assigned for for $5 million. There was not going to be that much money left over for Anders Lee if the Panarin deal happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem to me like those quotes were kind of pretty strong backtracking, and I'm sure we'll get to it in a little bit, but when you compare it to the way that we now know the Robin Leonard negotiation was carried out, um, it does cast more doubt on exactly the way that they went about this with Lee. But, um, you know, either way, I, I guess the takeaway is that, like we said at the top of the show, it could have been worse because if Lee wasn't available this entire day is an unmitigated disaster, but... Otherwise, it's just kind of a pretty disappointing day and a long series of disappointing July 1st as an Islander fan. So now we'll get into the Robin Leonard saga, and that's what it actually has become. I mean, more than any other player out of the four UFAs, the highly touted ones, Leonard made it very clear that he wanted to be back on the island. Part of that was comfort with the fan base, with his surroundings, with everything that he's gone through in his personal life. It was that important to be back someplace where he had success and had that comfort level. And, uh, you know, it seemed like this would be one of the easiest ones to do, one of the more easy contracts for Lou Lamberlillo to sign with, to uh, to have with with Robin Leonard, yet it's, it kept on feeling like something was amiss here. And, you know, now that uh, the dust has settled and both sides have had an opportunity to speak, uh, this is what Robin Leonard said that, you know, it took a while, essentially, for them to do their due diligence after the season. Uh, he opened up the books with the program, so ultimately he's looking at, you know, therapy and his um, alcohol abuse program that he's been part of. Uh, so the Islanders did their due diligence there, and it got to a point, ultimately, where it sounds like Lou made him an, out, uh, an ultimatum. I uh, was put in front of Robin Leonard. He took a couple days to think about it. He came back wanted something to work. So, hey, continue the negotiation, maybe a tweak here, a tweak there. And at that point, I uh, was told pretty much the Islanders were on another goalie. We know who that other goalie is now. And uh, that was that. And I don't think this is a real good look for the Islanders that, you know, they were not willing partners um, with Robin Leonard on trying to get him back, despite the fact of Lou saying that he wanted him back all along. 
and even today saying that uh, they did everything they could to bring back Robin. Uh, something still doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem like the Islanders maybe were that sincere uh, about that offer to Robin Leonard and maybe even one that they assumed he was not going to take. Yeah, it, it's a pretty odd situation when you consider everything that we've learned today, especially because there's nothing necessarily wrong with, you know, kind of the strong arm approach to contract negotiation, but it raises a lot of questions. First of all, you know, why did they wait so long to actually enter negotiations with Leonard if they then plan to give him a very short window to actually get back to them? You know, it'd be one thing if Leonard had insisted on waiting and then the Islanders felt rushed to find another goalie just in case, but it looked like the Islanders were the ones that tried to sit on their hands for too long and then gave Leonard a very short time frame. Uh, it also raised the question of what was the market like for Semyon Barlamov that the Islanders felt they needed to put this time crunch yep. on Leonard and then needed to give him four years at $5 million per year as a 31-year-old goalie coming off a very, very mediocre season. You know, it, it, it looks bad for the team in a couple of ways, primarily because we now know that they might have lowballed Leonard a little bit or at least kind of put him in a crunch to accept his contract and then they gave a pretty big deal for a goalie to Semyon Varlamov, a deal that I would have to assume Leonard would have been happy to take himself if they had extended it to him. So, again, there are some details we'll probably never find out about this, but it's a very, very odd look for this franchise. Because when I had heard that they were not looking to bring back Leonard, I said, okay, maybe they don't want to make a long-term you know, I was thinking four-year type commitment to Robin Leonard and that they would, you know, look for a stopgap goaltender one or two years as they look at to see whether or not Sorokin would come from Russia. And obviously there's a component to this. Uh, Vlamov and, and Sorokin are known to be acquaintances or maybe friends, um, and they feel like that could be a good, you know, pairing uh, next year. Grice, of course, will be a UFA after this following season. Um, but uh, when you look at when you look at the money and you look at the term, I just I just blew me away that it was four years. I mean, who was giving him? You look at some of these other goaltender contracts. Bobrovsky goes into a category on himself in terms of getting you know ten year ten million dollars a year for seven years. But you know Peter Morazic, uh, two year deal. Um, some of the other goaltenders out there, no one really made four-year commitment to a goaltender other than the Islanders here. And again, who were they negotiating with uh, that they couldn't make this a two- or three-year deal? It would have been a lot easier to stomach. Um, and at what point did they fall in love with this being their option to where Robin Leonard, they were willing to walk away from a guy who had a you know, a Vezina finalist season, a 930 save percentage, and over the course of the last four seasons has some better numbers uh, than Verlamov, who, like you mentioned, James, is older and is coming off a, a season that, you know, certainly pales in comparison as com uh, compared to what Leonard did for the Islanders last year. Yeah, I mean, everything you said is exactly right, which just kind of keeps adding to the fact that this is a very odd situation. And I think if they made this decision exclusively for the possibility of attracting Ilya Sorokin in a year, this was a very bad move by the team because, A, it's still a hypothetical, and you just, made a, you just downgraded your goalie situation based on a hypothetical future goalie, and it's still also, as great as he's been in the KHL, it is still not a sure thing that Ilya Sorokin comes to the Islanders and starts dominating the league. And again, the four-year commitment is what really is baffling because if I understand the idea that, that Sorokin and Varlamov may be close, but would Sorokin really want to come over when the Islanders are paying another goaltender $5 million a year for the next three years after he comes over? Because... To him, it would probably seem like there's not much of a chance for him to make money and earn a starting job. So 
the term is really kind of what makes this deal so baffling for the Sorokin and Leonard angles, but I guess time will tell. You know, you want to be optimistic that with Leonard or with Trotz and Mitch Korn and this defense, the way they played last year, that they can have another any goaltender behind them and have another strong season defensively. But goaltending is so random that enough of a fluctuation could really put this team in jeopardy, especially if they don't add on offense at any point. Yeah, apparently the coaching staff really likes Falarmov. Um, obviously, they're uh, looking at the film, and maybe there's things that they see that they go, okay, we get our hands on this guy. Uh, we get to kind of bring him under our wing, and you know, we're going to see him return back to that type of player he was when he was a Vezina finalist himself. But you know, just very interesting that you know the Islanders are able to pursue Artemi Panarin, offer him twelve and a half million, and Anders Lee affords the Islanders the opportunity to come back to him and work out a deal. And I understand the guy's the captain of the team and did not want to leave. I understand that. But then meanwhile, in the Leonard situation, you know, Leonard's given an ultimatum, takes a couple of days, comes back, and they pretty much said, we've moved on without you. So, you know, it just, it could be ruthless sometimes. And you just wonder, is there something else there? Did something happen um, off the ice, whatever it may be, that it was a red flag to the Islanders as to why they did not want to commit to Robin Leonard and the rest of the league. You know, do things get out? Because he got a one-year deal, James. One year, $5 million from Chicago. It wasn't like the Islanders, you know, were low-balling him at two years and he got a four- or five-year somewhere else. Uh, just, you know, you feel for him because how many opportunities are you going to have to have that kind of career season and try to cash in on that for the security of you and your family? And now he's going to have to do it all over again in Chicago. Yeah, what I will say, though, is interesting is, like you said, that no team was really – there were very few teams in the market for a goaltender, and only one team other than the Islanders paid any sort of legitimate amount of money for a goaltender, really, Uh, and that was Sergei Bobrovsky, obviously. So there clearly was not much of a market for goaltenders outside of the Panthers, Blue Jackets, and Islanders clearly in the market for one. So Leonard's options weren't very vast. So it's – I think it's less of a reflection of maybe anything that might have happened behind closed doors that might have leaked to other teams and more of a weak goaltending market that Leonard maybe misread when he didn't immediately accept Lamarillo's ultimatum contract. But, you know, either way, I, I think that it's just a, a nature of the market and the fact that only two teams overpaid for a goaltender this year, and the, the Blackhawks were not one of them in this case. Fascinating. I mean, everyone's going to be watching Leonard and seeing what he does in Chicago, and certainly a lot of eyes will be on Verlamov over the next several years to see if he's worth that $5 million price tag. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Carrie Haber, contributor at Lighthouse Hockey, will join us. You're listening to PT Isles. Islanders country, if you're a fan living or working in the city or maybe just planning to take the train in for a night, Offside Tavern, Chelsea's newest sports bar, is your first stop after the LIRR. Featuring 15 high-definition televisions and a 100-inch projector screen, Offside Tavern airs every Islanders game. Fans wearing team gear get $4 draft and well drinks throughout the game, so put on your orange and blue and shoot on over to the Offside Tavern. 137 West 14th Street in New York City. We're back. Joe Bono and James Duffy. P.T. Isles joined now by the creator of At The Cap Space as well as a contributor for Lighthouse Hockey. You can follow him on Twitter at HaberMetrics. And that, of course, is Carrie Haber. Carrie, happy July 1. How are you? I'm good, guys. How are you doing? 
okay. Uh, I think, okay, fine. Uh, my title of this episode, it could have been worse, and that's kind of my attitude at this point. I'm grateful for what the Islanders have, uh, but obviously um, it, could have, it could have been much better. It could have been a lot worse. I uh, just want to kind of get first your big-picture thoughts on how you felt coming into the day based upon some of the rumors that were out there on Sunday and uh, where the Islanders are now here on Monday evening uh, with a new goaltender, Anders Lee, back, and uh, still a lot of um, a lot of um, open questions. Right. So, yeah, I mean, coming into today, uh, I would say I was probably more optimistic than I should have been. Um, but I think a lot of that just comes down to the level of magnitude and authority that Bob McKenzie and Elliot Friedman have. And, um, you know, both of them saying last night that the Islanders were the favorites to land Artemi Panarin certainly, I think, created more expectations than otherwise would have been there. Um, and obviously, as we saw this morning, it didn't quite work out the way that we all would have wanted it to. So, um, you know, I, I think that was obviously a, a gigantic disappointment, especially considering the reality of where he went and what his contract ultimately totaled at. So, um, you know, from that perspective, certainly you can't call it a, a hugely good day for the Islanders. But, I mean, in terms of where they are, uh, kind of where they've been. They they are basically at this point bringing back a fairly identical team to what they had last season, at least from a skater perspective. Um, Goaltending is going to see a little bit of a shift, and I'm sure we'll get further into that. So I'm kind of in this place where – you know, I don't think that the world is ending the way that I think uh, some people might be led to believe after today, but I also think they have this consistent foundation that's now filled with players that are in that 28- to 31-year-old range um, that doesn't really quite open up a large window to win. Uh, so what, they're, what I think they really need to do at this point is try to be as creative as possible to put them in the best position to win now because – as soon as those guys get older and they're all on long-term contracts, um, that window might disappear faster than I think people would want to believe. So um, I kind of leave the day feeling that the Islanders are in more of a win-now position than I did before. Um, but I'm also less optimistic that Lou Lamorello is going to be – or has the creativity to really make the most of what that means. So – kind of in this state of ambivalence at the moment, not really sure what the direction of the team is. And, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of time here to figure that out, but uh, certainly I wouldn't say overly positive at this point either. And so, Carrie, looking ahead to the next few weeks of free agency, uh, obviously because today is still July 1st, the episode will come out on July 2nd, as many people will be quick to their mind us, so there's still time to make moves. But with their cap space quickly shrinking and fewer and fewer names left available, do you see a way for the Islanders to actually significantly improve before the off season's over? Potentially. I mean, I think there's avenues where it's possible. Um, certainly the offer sheet route is, is something that gets talked about a lot. This morning before Andrews Lee signed, I, I tweeted that I wasn't really all in on that decision or that process, but I think now, given the fact that he is back and, um, you know, like I said, I think their window is now I'm a little bit more open to it. That's going to require some creativity, though. I know I keep harping on that word, but, I mean, a guy like Nick Letty, for example, would need to be on the trading block. I think, interestingly, maybe Thomas Gray uh, would be an option to get moved to if, if there's a suitor for him. Um, you have to look at being as flexible as possible, potentially trading some guys that you may not want to. 
uh, but have some value to clear some space because if you're going to bring in a player that's making $10 million, $11 million a year, um, that needs to work within the cap structure. So um, I don't necessarily think it's as simple as saying Andrew Vlad isn't going to be ready to play and he's going to go on long-term injury reserve all season. don't think that's as realistic as um, is bandied about, but um, I, I, I do think there are options out there. I mean, I don't necessarily think they're going to come on the free agent market at this point. I think they really are going to need to establish the trade market and see what that has to offer for them. Um, guys that have been rumored, uh, Jason Zucker, Mike Hoffman, um, certainly kind of fit the bill of what I think they'd be looking for. Um, but at this point, um, those are really their two options. They could go down the offer sheet route and take a pretty big risk, or they can uh, play a little bit in the trade market and see what's out there for them. Gary Haber is our guest, Lighthouse Hockey contributor, joining James Duffy and myself, Joe Bono, PT Isles. And, you know, I agree with you because right now you look at the free agent market and you're saying, okay, you're going to bring in Brian Boyle, someone like that. They still need to fill that third-line center. Uh, Valtteri Fopola will be joining Franz Nielsen in Detroit. Um, so if it's not free agency and they have roughly around $8 million or so, um, right now under the cap, still have to take care of some of their restricted free agents. You look at the deal Colorado and Toronto just made, where you're taking a strength and on the blue line for Colorado, exchanging that for Kadri for some scoring and vice versa with Tyson Barry going um, to Toronto. That's the type of deal they have to make right now. And, you know, people are focused in on Nick Letty could be expendable. You know, my thought process, Carrie, going into this was the Islanders are going to you know, try to keep what their foundation was and then build on top of that. And, you know, we can debate and we will in terms of what they did in net, but the forward group pretty much is the same outside of Popola going to Detroit. I don't know where they build on that, though. I don't see, like you said, the creativity. Can they make that type of a deal where someone's going to slide in to this top six right now to be that offensive you know, that offensive shot that this team needs, and it can really help the power play because that's obviously what they were going after for Panarin. So they know that's a gap. They know that's a void. I just don't know how they address it anymore because I don't think people think Letty by himself brings back that type of player. Right. No, and Letty's real asset value isn't the player himself. It's the cap space that would come with it. So when you talk about the offer sheet route, for example, um, the team getting back five and a half million dollars on the cap for the next three years would potentially enable them to make a move like that. Um, you potentially can look at Anthony Bavillier as another example of a player that's probably going to cost a couple of million dollars. I mean, these types of things really happen in the margins. Again, we're talking about moving popular players to get the type of player that they need. But I mean, these are the types of decisions that are made pretty consistently throughout the league. I mean, I tend to agree with you. The deal that Toronto and Colorado made is, is along the lines of the type of creativity that I'd like to see the Islanders show. Um, certainly, you don't want to see them get back into a corner, which they kind of are in at this point. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's one that they can't escape from because, like, like we're talking about, they do have some assets out there. And a lot of that can just be come down to clearing cap space that they need. They have the draft picks necessary um, to make a splash. So, um, you know, you, I, I don't know the type of the direction that they want to move in there. Like I said, I do think it would be a little bit risky, but I think what we're learning is you don't win in this league without taking risks. I mean, if you look at uh, the St. Louis Blues, who obviously just won the Stanley Cup, a lot of their core 
um, was brought in via trade. Both Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly did not come cheaply for them, um, and they made that work. So uh, I don't necessarily think the conservative route is the best route at this point. Um, And again, because I do think they are dealing with a little bit of a fleeting window, um, if you are going to get a little bit aggressive, this is the right time to do it, um, especially because as soon as next year hits, your, your cap hierarchy is going to kind of be all over the place with a bunch of restricted free agents coming up, including Matthew Barzell. So, um, you know, I, I think they do have to keep that in mind. But at the same time, like if, if they can do or if they can move some, some players in the margins to create that space for them, that's got to be something that they look pretty closely at. And so, Gary, the only major change so far from last year's roster is Robin Leonard out and Semyon Varlamov in in net. Uh, can you first tell us what your takeaway was from how those contract negotiations have played out and then purely statistically in a vacuum outside of the contract or any drama around the deals, what does Varlamov bring statistically that might be different than Leonard? So, you know, I think when you look at save percentage, and let's start there, obviously Robin Leonard's save percentage over the last couple of years is higher than Denver Alamos's. is. Um, but I, Micah Blake McCurdy of Hockey Viz um, has done a lot of analysis on goaltenders uh, this year. And one of the things that he looks at is things that go beyond just save percentage, takes more of a closer look at, at, at where shots are taken, how they're taken, et cetera. And Varlamov actually grades out pretty well. Um, so I actually think, you know, from a talent perspective, in a vacuum, the Islanders staff liking his game and thinking that they can help him um, isn't unwarranted. I, I, you know, I do think there is something there. And I do think when you look at the volatility of goaltenders in general, there's every chance that Varlamov could have um, a very solid statistical year, which is what you're looking for there. Um, obviously, his relationship to Ilya Sorokin has been talked about a lot. You know, time will tell if that has any real influence or not. Um, but when you look at, obviously, what happened with Robin Leonard and the deal that he signed with Chicago, it's a little bit incomprehensible how this all went down. Um, obviously, you know, we, from afar, just naturally deal with um, – we're in a position of disinformation. We just don't know everything. Um, but certainly the optics of them giving Varlamov twice the contract that they were going to offer Leonard is a bit curious, especially given his age. Um, so I, this isn't an area where I, I think they did well today. Um, just to be transparent or frank about it, uh, giving term and, and a lot of money to a 31-year-old goaltender is just not a direction that I would ever champion. Um, I think they're, if they were going to move on from Leonard because they were scared off by the salary ask that he had, uh, moving to a shorter-term, more cost-effective option uh, that has potential probably would have been the move that I would have gone in. But, um, you know, obviously the, Lou uh, credited his goaltending coaches and his staff on this one. So, um, clearly, this was a team decision. I'm just a little bit concerned about what the efficacy of a contract like this ultimately looks like because, again, you're talking about now paying a goalie into his mid-30s, one that's had injury issues in the past. So the whole thing, the whole thing just seems a lot more risky than I think it needed to be. And, uh, you know, the more fragile elements that you have within a hard cap structure, the more likely that something's going to break at the seams. And obviously that would be really disastrous for the Islanders considering how important the position is. And Gary, when – 
Arthur Staple announced the four-year deal. Your tweet was, uh, this is already way too much term and bad, but if it's but if this AAV is over four, it's terror bad. And then uh, your next tweet um, was just several throw-up emojis after the five million <laughs> after the five million came out. So I I think um, I think most people agree with you. I mean, who was who were they bidding against that they had to give him four years? I mean, I felt the same way about Leo Komarov last year. I'm saying who's who was giving him a four-year contract that two or three uh, couldn't have gotten the job done. Um, you know, pretty perplexing. It, it really is. I mean, you, you want to trust, obviously, the Islanders goaltending uh, coaches, and you know maybe they're a player they're familiar with. Lou apparently wanted to trade for him last year, so it's someone they've targeted and they like. Um, it's going to be hard for him, though, to obviously play to the level that Robert Leonard did um, last season. Um, as far as the Islanders now moving forward, we have the um, UFAs that are still out there. We mentioned a couple of them. You know, can they free up some salary if they want to go the RFA route? Probably unlikely, or what kind of trade targets are out there? What about the system and the young players that are currently there that can make an impact? So, Noah Dobson, what's your view on what he's going to be able to bring? People are expecting him now to make the team out of camp. Probably have to shed yourself of a of a defenseman for that to happen. And then, you know, in that forward group, who are you looking to to make that next step? That could be a contributor, and that's going to be necessary if this team's going to need more offense. They're going to need at least, you know, all four lines scoring goals. Right. So, yeah, starting with Dobson, um, I mean, he had kind of a monster of a Memorial Cup, and I think he's, at this point, pretty decisively the Islanders' top prospect. He's got a pretty tough path, though, to make it into the lineup. He plays on on the right side on the defense, and with Ryan Pollock and Scott Mayfield and Johnny Boytruck, Boychuk along with his contract there, that's going to be a tough position to, to get in. Um, but if he plays well in camp, I think they're going to give him an opportunity to at least make an impact. Um, I, I think realistically we might be looking at another year or so of waiting there. Um, but, you know, th- that's not to say that he doesn't have the talent level. Certainly wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if he did come in um, and, and play regular minutes for the Islanders this year. So um, he's, he's one to watch out for. Uh, the forward prospects are interesting. I think um, Michael Dacol is the most obvious candidate to take the next step. Um, he's not waiver exempt anymore, and he is an RFA, and I think the team really likes what he brought to the table last year. Um, I talked a lot about how impressed I was with his defensive game, um, and he obviously does have the skill to produce offensively. Um, so I, I think if, you know if he has a regular spot and has the real minutes to impress, I think that's probably the top one. Josh saying, you know, we, we all talk about him. I think there's so much that comes with that. It's hard to really pinpoint or have real knowledge on what that's going to look like next year, if he's even going to be in the organization. He's also not waiver exempt anymore. So he's, you know, and I don't think it's as sure of a thing that he is going to make the team out of camp. So, um, you know, should he be with the team at that point, uh, that's one to look out for as well. I think, um, Guys like Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom are still a little bit away. Bellows had kind of a rough year in the AHL last year for most of the year. Uh, And Wallstrom, I think, is still pretty green, although I think between the two of them, he has more of a chance to come up if he plays well. And then the big wild card is Otto Koivula, who, uh, you know, the team obviously has a hole right now at center. uh, And 
you know, I, I personally can't speak to if he is ready or not, but he had an extremely productive season in Bridgeport. I think basically everyone was raving about his game. Um, I, I think he kind of fits the style that the Islanders are, are trying to play. Um, so certainly you can't rule that, that one out either. Um, but, you know, I, I think the way the team is structured at this point too, like it's going to be difficult for a lot of these kids to make the lineup. I mean, it is a pretty veteran laden organization at this point. And if the Islanders do go out and sign to Brian Boyle, for example, that's just going to clog up more spots. So, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely good to have competition across the board. Um, but it also doesn't really feel like it's their MO right now to give or just hand out roster spots to prospects and, and young players. So, um, the way that things are trending, I would say they're going to have to earn it, but there is some potential there um, that, you know, has an opportunity to, to do something at the NHL level. So, Kerry, since you mentioned Brian Boyle and alluded to uh, maybe potential free agent signings yet to come, I'd like to get your take on what you think the ideal outcome for the rest of the rest of the offseason would be versus what you think the reality will be for the rest of this offseason. Yeah. I mean, the ideal outcome, I think, realistically – um, moving either Nick Letty or Tom Hickey to create some of that cap space that we talked about would be on my list. And then the like corresponding move to that would be to try to bring in another top six wing. Um, I think they could use some help on either. I mean, I think the left wing side is more of a need at this point because right now you're looking at just Andrews Lee and Anthony Bovillier as your top two. Um, so I think that's real right for an upgrade. Um, third line center, I think Casey Zizekas can ultimately fill that role. So if they were to go and sign a Boyle, um, those two guys seem fairly interchangeable. And I think if you can get him on a one-year deal, that's not the worst option in the world, um, especially compared to some of the guys who's left. And I think from a cost perspective, it might shake out okay. Um, and then uh, I do think they need to bring in um, – uh, sorry. I, I, I think at, at, at that level you're okay. Um, the question is, who can they fill with that top six wing role? Um, it's not my ideal to go for a heavy RFA with an offer sheet, but I certainly think that's an option. Um, again, it really would depend ultimately on what the trade market looks like and dealing with potential no trade clauses and things like that. Um, but I, but realistically, a top six wing in the third line center uh, is where I'd, I'd target. In terms of what's actually going to happen, it's really hard to say. I think you know, Lou Lamorello hasn't really quite shown the creativity that I think was promised um, when he was first brought in about a year ago. Uh, I think within, you know, we're basically now in year two. Um, he's made one trade, and literally every single player on this team, except for Semyon Barlamov, was acquired by, and Leo Komarov were acquired by Garth Snow. I guess you could kind of caveat Matt Martin with that, but this is still pretty much a Garth Snow acquired team. So, um, you know, obviously that led to success last year. The team did have 103 points, and Barry Trotz uh, coming in is nothing to sneeze at. But uh, I'm pretty unconvinced at this point that he's shown the creativity necessary to work around those edges within those margins to uh, fill the needs that need to be filled. So, um, you know, where I think this lands, I think you might see a couple of minor signings, uh, guys with potentially some upside. You know, Michael Furland and Ryan Dezingle are guys that are kind of ripe to be overpaid, so maybe can't rule those guys out. Um, but you can only overpay so many free agents before that really comes back to haunt you, and I think we're starting to see that now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to say where they're going to go, but I, I tend to think that it's going to be kind of linear in terms of 
kind of player A fits role A, so we're just going to do that as opposed to moving a bunch of pieces around. And, Carrie, I know you've put out your confidence polls, and uh, I'm going to give you the latest numbers on that. Everyone is very confident in Barry Trotch as head coach. About <laughs> 90% uh, voted at about the highest. Uh, they're fairly confident in the team direction, but I think as what has been the theme of our conversation here, uh, people don't seem to be overly confident in uh, Lou Lemerlo's GM abilities. I know that sounds almost... Uh, sacrilegious in NHL hockey circles, but uh, I think that is the feel now. Uh, two July ones and, and two underwhelming results uh, where both times he has not been able to get what has been his top targets and has yet to show the creativity, like you mentioned, in the trade market. Gary, we really appreciate it. Islander fans, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Habermetrics, creator of At The Cap Space and also contributor at Lighthouse Hockey. Gary, really appreciate it. We'll talk again. Thanks. Thank you guys for having me on. Have a great summer, guys. We're back. Special thanks again to Carrie Haber for joining us, and I meant it. Islander fans, if you're listening, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Habermetrics. Great stuff all the year, especially the advanced metrics crowd. So things are developing still as we're having these conversations. Um, James and Neil Sheehy, who is Andrews Lee's agent, uh, was on the island all throughout the year negotiating. People were very surprised that something did not get done during the season. And then, obviously, after the season, that it got this far before Anders Lee signed. Um, and we have, we talked about it, too. You know, were they going to have enough money if Panarin accepted $12.5 million AAV? Were they going to be able to sign Anders Lee? And according to Neil Sheary, absolutely. He said, uh, he tweeted out, Anders Lee never left the Islanders. We did not, quote, negotiate with teams as Anders wanted to stay with the Islanders. There was much interest, and a $7 million AAV allows Lou Lamarillo to pursue players who can help the Islanders win. Anders was staying with or without Panarin. He goes on, there was never a moment on this free agent day where it was even a possibility that Anders Lee was going to leave the Islanders, no matter what else happened. This type of, quote, fake news fries my bananas. Anders Lee said the most important quality in a teammate is loyalty, and he meant it. Wow. Your reaction? I, I love it. Fries is bananas. I, I love it. Neil Shee is having none of this fake news, but if you ask me, and I'm probably going to be wrong here, but it sounds like what Sheehy's saying is quote-unquote fake news in an attempt to save face here because – the idea that they were just waiting to sign Panarin to then sign Lee because maybe Lee's contract was flexible, but Sheehy also says that seven was the perfect number because it allowed Lou to pursue other players. So they were always set on 7 million. So that doesn't really make sense. And the fact that, you know, why would the Islanders have waited to sign Lee anyway? Wouldn't a team to Artemi Panarin be more attractive? If there's another top six left winger already on that roster without the uncertainty of will this team also lose their current leading scorer? The idea that this was the exact way the Islanders planned things would happen in the case they did not sign Panarin is a little preposterous. And when you think about the fact that based on what we've heard from Robin Leonard in terms of how early Semyon Varlamov was in the mix, and we know for a fact the Islanders intended to give Artemi Panarin $12.5 million, if the Islanders were always coming into this day planning to spend $17.5 million on Panarin and Varlamov, how would they have been able to sign Lee at $7 million as well? The math just does not add up whatsoever. So 
I'm not sure what to make of these Sheehy quotes. I love the term fries my bananas, but I don't think he's telling the whole <laughs> truth either. He also has an all-time handle on Twitter. It's just Ice Hockey Agent. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit like saving face, like you mentioned. I mean, I, I just read an article from New York Post for Sergela saying that they had, like you mentioned, they had settled on the seven years, $7 million figure for quite some time. It was just the years. So were they looking for eight that the Islanders could give them as their unrestricted free agent? And then that period ran out and then they could only offer seven, but maybe the Islanders still wanted six. So that seems very, very minor to get it to this point. Um, and then it ended up dragging on until two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon uh, at the same time. So, you know, and then you go back also to the way Anders Lee sounded when he had his event last week and was talking about the disappointment that it got to this point. It did not sound like, you know, we are all agreed. I'm never leaving no matter what. We're just working out one thing. It's um, a bit of massaging on the, on the message, maybe to save face for both sides. I, I don't know what to make of it, but um, I'm glad Anders Lee is back. Um, got in it with Twitter folks. Uh, quite a bit over the last week or so, people that feel like even five-year contract was going to be too much for him, James, they are really going to feel like seven is. And you know what? At 35 years old, 36, it may very well be that. But if he can give them a really good three to four years, um, people will forget about that. In the same way people look at Panarin and his age and go, he doesn't have a lot of mileage, uh, the same could be for Anders Lee. So I guess we just hope he stays healthy and hope he's still uh, – a good contributor, uh, one of the many Islanders that are going to be in their mid thirties <laughs> uh, in the next four or five years with the amount of long-term contracts they've given out to Bailey and to Nelson and to Lee and to Everly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think that goes to what Carrie was saying about their win now window, right? This yep. group is going to be together now five, six, seven years. You know, they, that they, that's the window really in the next three or four. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I wrote in a blog earlier this week when I was kind of discussing the scenarios that could play out with Anders Lee. The fact that if he's the only forward they land, they put themselves in a very weird spot where they're committing money to win now because of the fact that you fully expect in even the best case scenario by year six of Lee's contract, he's not scoring 25 goals every year anymore. You know, you you expect you're giving him the money now because in the future he won't be worth it, but now you hope to really take advantage of this, especially with Barzal on his entry-level contract uh, and all these guys getting deals that you will expect to bite the bullet on in, in the last year or two of each of them. So they're in a spot now where they haven't improved, but they have a roster construction that has to win now, or you're really in a tough situation salary cap-wise four or five years down the road. So it's it's tough to think that far ahead because you still want to make sure that this offseason goes properly, but this deal alone doesn't make perfect sense for the Islanders because they're now in a, a strange position cap wise. Yeah, they really are. I really want them to make a splash. I mean, I know it would just be a great story, but I mean, I'm a little jealous that, you know, Montreal went out there and did the offer sheet for Sebastian Ajo. I want the Islanders to do something that bold. And I don't know if Mitch Marner could even happen at this point. But honestly, James, there was part of me that says, if you were willing to spend $12.5 million on Panarin, I understand it doesn't come with a four first-round draft pick price tag, but you could probably have put something in a, put Toronto in a really tough spot with an offer sheet with Marner. 
Uh, doesn't look like they're going to have that flexibility to do so. Maybe for better or worse, we'll see. Um, and and Toronto's doing that. It looks like they're doing the right things to make sure that they have the cap maneuverability to uh, to get him under. Um, so you know maybe at the end of the day things were going to work out for Toronto, and that point would have been moot. Um, man, you know. What's going to happen in the next couple of days? What's going to happen the rest of the summer? It's not a finished product yet, but this team cannot go uh, to the ice in September and October, James, with, with this being the final final roster. Same yeah, problems. Office. They were right. there now that were there at the end of the season and in the playoffs are there again right now. And unless you're expecting guys that aren't playing right now to take massive steps forward in the next year or two, uh, there really aren't other solutions in-house. Yeah, I mean, the offense was not good enough last year, and it has not gotten any better. And you just put a potentially larger question mark in net than than you had at the end of this season when you knew that Robin Leonard had, at the very least, developed further in his game and become sober and clean. So, you know, obviously, if, when you compare July 1s, it's not very different. But when you compare where we were in April with Leonard on this team to then switching him for Semyon Varlamov, it's hard to not think that's a downgrade. And when nothing else improves for this team, you have to worry about what their chances are next year to not just repeat their success. It seems unlikely that they'll build on their success and you have to wonder how far they may regress next season. Yeah. I mean, I was okay with Leonard being able to walk. If you were going to take that savings and put it towards or invested in uh, bringing in players to improve the top six, the top nine, Giving a $5 million contract to Valarmov really doesn't allow that. What they can do with the rest of this cast space, knowing they have RFAs they need to sign, knowing the RFAs they need to sign next year. Listen, there's a couple contracts that can be moved on this team. Will they be able to move them? Um, a lot of unanswered questions, but uh, we'll be here to find out what happens. Uh, James, as always, fun. I love spending my July 1 evenings with you. It's uh, an annual tradition that I'm coming to dread now, just by how bad <laughs> July 1 days usually are. Oh, man. And it was a Sunday. I wasted an entire nice a nice summer Sunday last year. At least I was at work most of the time this year, uh, indoors. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of PT Isles. We thank once again Carrie Haber of Lighthouse Hockey for joining us. Uh, we'll see what happens July 2nd, July 3rd, and thereafter. Any big trades? signing anything else belmont good news on that it looks like that's going to happen according to lou lamarillo's comments today that he won't have to answer any more belmont questions soon whatever it is we'll be here to talk about it we'll look forward to doing that for gotham sports network james duffy i'm oswald joe bono we'll talk to you next time on this country good night